Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb. And um, today, after the elections in, in Indiana and all other states, um, we are very fortunate to talk to someone uh, who knows a lot about getting women elected uh, in this country and around the world. And so this is very exciting to, to hear about this. And I certainly want to know more about how we can succeed in getting more women elected into government. So with us today, Cynthia Ritchie Terrell, a founder and executive director of Represent Women, also the founder of Reflect Us or Reflect US, I'm not sure, and also um, founder of Fair Vote. So Cynthia, you have done a ton of work. And so I, I would love first if you could just give us a little background on all of these organizations and, you know, what, what are they all doing? Um, how are they started? And, you know, what can we expect to see from them? Ah, sure. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks so much for inviting me to be on with you. It's always a pleasure uh, to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is women's representation and and building a healthy and reflective democracy. Um, I'll start out with uh, my work on campaigns. I really dove into uh, working on campaigns for about six years straight, right out of college. And that gave me a really good understanding of how campaigns are run, what the priorities are, what voters matter, um, who swing voters are, and how our electoral system really functions, and frankly, um, also dysfunctions, which we can talk more about, um, in terms of whom it includes and, and who's excluded from the process. Um, it was after um, a particularly bruising election cycle, I guess in 1990, and then, I oh, I ran a campaign for the Equal Rights Amendment in 1992 in Iowa, where I got to debate Phyllis Schlafly and wow. the likes of Ralph Reed from the Christian Coalition, et cetera. We lost the, that statewide Equal Rights Amendment by just a few percentage points. But in that same summer, my husband and I, Rob Ritchie, and some others came together in Cincinnati, Ohio, to um, really rekindle an interest in uh, proportional voting systems that had been alive and well, actually, during the progressive era um, in, the, in the 1900s in the United States, um, where a number of cities in Ohio and um, in uh, really across the mid-Atlantic and the Northeast um, changed their election system to be more representative of the voters and which gave voters more power essentially. And so um, we had some of the old guard from Cincinnati who had been involved in the 1940s. And uh, we came in as the young, the young people we were then and uh, worked with a team to, to start um, what has now become Fair Vote. And so we're now 30 years going strong and Fair Vote has been really the I would say the early and the constant um, voice on the need to look at our winner-take-all election systems and um, understand what the the barriers are inherent in that winner-take-all voting system and figuring out what uh, the data tells us are some good solutions to that uh, system. Mostly now that work has focused on um, ranked choice voting, which is a a system that gives voters more power, more choices, and a greater voice in government. So that's been exciting to see the work of Fair Vote. Now there are, oh, like lots and lots of states with Fair Vote organizations and other organizations, voter choice groups that are working on um, ranked choice voting. And we've seen big wins for it um, from places as diverse as Alaska to um 
Hawaii to Utah to uh, Colorado to Illinois to Maine to Georgia. It's used by military and overseas voters, um, which might actually be something that uh, legislators in Indiana would be very interested in. Uh, in Georgia, just as an aside, a Republican legislator pushed successfully to make sure that instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting could be used by military and overseas voters in this election cycle, which is why the runoff is able to happen so close to the, the general election in Georgia right now. Um, that's something that uh, Democratic and Republican legislators um, have a history of favoring um, in Southern states. So maybe that's a, an interesting thing we could talk about for Indiana. So Fair Vote has, um, I think, spawned not only a lot of ballot measures, which have been successful, but a lot of great cross-partisan work and then um, a lot of legislation as well um, to pass voting system reform, um, again, to enable voters to have more power to elect candidates uh, of their of their choice. And that's so the, just as a like just as a quick definition of the ranked choice voting system. Um, everyone gets to make a first choice, a second choice and a third choice. Exactly. Uh, and then um, if that if your first choice uh, doesn't get enough votes, uh, then uh, then that vote is taken out and your vote then goes to your second choice. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. So um, a lot of people have trouble understanding that. But <laughs> but um, but that's how it works. And um, and I know that that was instrumental in getting um, what the first uh, Native American uh, elected in Alaska this year. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a great system um, because it it uh, incentivizes candidates to run to find common ground. So if you and I are running, I want your supporters to rank me second. So I want to find things that we have in common that we're seeking a solution on. And we see that happening now. There have been you know millions of votes cast in ranked choice voting elections in New York and in San Francisco and Alaska, et cetera, et cetera. So we see this pattern emerging of, of candidates really um, embracing civility, focusing on issues, finding common ground. And yes, as you say, um, you know, multiple candidates can run. And this is one of the reasons we think that that women tend to do so well in jurisdictions with ranked choice voting, because multiple women candidates can run without splitting the vote or without being told to wait their turn, which women candidates hear so often. It's not time for you. We already have a woman in the race. But in a ranked choice voting election, we saw this in New York City with the New York City Council, many women running for each of those spots. And then, you know, there are 61 percent of the seats on the New York City Council are now held by women, in part because they didn't split the vote. They found common ground. They were civil. Um, and lo and behold, one nice thing about ranked choice voting is it turns out running positive issue focused civil campaigns cost a lot less money than running these negative attack campaigns, which rely on essentially trying to misinform voters. So that's a nice aspect of it as well. We know money is such a big problem in politics and it's nice to reduce the need for it. Um, Anyway, so that's that's another advantage. And so while we're on this topic of, you know, voting uh, systems reform, yes. um, I saw somewhere in your uh, materials that you do a city, you did a city campaign for fair representation voting. So, um, you know, in Indiana, you know, we don't have ballot initiatives. Anything that goes on the ballot has to be approved by the state legislature. So um, so we don't have that. And um, 
you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't have an independent redistricting commission um, either. Uh, so I, I guess I'm excited to think, is there some hope at a, at a, a city level? For Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of hope at the city level um, for um, for uh, policy to pass legislation. You don't even really need a campaign for it or a ballot measure. You can just work with your city councilors um, and or the county level, for that matter, to change the way um, uh, votes are tallied. There's certainly a history of it. The, the campaign that I worked on um, was in 1991. It was in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, to bring back the proportional system that Cincinnati had used very effectively for about 20 years um, in the 1940s and 1950s. And in Cincinnati, there was a a Democratic Party, a Republican Party, and then a strong independent party. Um, And they all just shared power. And and it was, I think, voted by Forbes magazine after two decades of using this type of fair representation voting as the best managed um, city in the country, which is a pretty good endorsement of that kind of voting. But now, yes, there have been... um, think over 50 cities use some type of ranked choice voting to elect um, members of their council. And it just passed in, I think, seven cities. Let's see, Evanston, Illinois, Fort Collins, Colorado, Portland, Maine, and Portland, Oregon both passed it. Um, so that's fun. And we've seen a an explosion of use of it in places like Utah, where there was a local option bill which uh, that the state legislature passed uh, with a lot of support for Democrats and Republicans that wasn't mandating the use of ranked choice voting. It simply said, we're going to support local communities that want to make this switch. And so that's been interesting to see a pilot project in a place like Utah, um, where all kinds of of uh, partisans are are supporting ranked choice voting. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, and so, uh, so, so the, the idea is that you can actually get a city council to pass legislation that allows the city elections to be to use a ranked choice uh, voting system. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And um, when we first started Fair Vote and really for the last, you know, for, or I would say for the first 15 years or so, there were barriers in the um, the actual software and hardware of counting ballots that made it hard for a community to make the switch to ranked choice voting. But now voting equipment is almost all, um, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the word right now, but workable with a ranked choice voting system. So depending on what kind of system, it's usually not a very big expense to make the switch. I actually live in a city with ranked choice voting and we get a ballot, which is a ranked choice ballot for city elections and then there another ballot. And that that's pretty common around the country that you vote in one kind of a way or one date for your local municipal government and then another date for state legislature and so forth with a different system. So now both the software and the hardware is pretty commonplace, making it an easy switch for local communities. And obviously okay. it's one of those things where the more communities switch, the, the price of switching goes down, which is another great thing to see. Right, right. Well, that's very exciting. Um, that's, you know, the, um, in Indiana, of course, you know, we had a really bad election uh, experience this time uh, in 2022. So um, unlike, you know, apparently the rest of the country. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so anything, any little glimmer of hope is really, you know, we really need something like that now. 
Yeah. So, um, uh, and I wanted you to talk to, well, and I want you to talk about the other organizations that you have founded mm, as well. Right, right. Well, um, Reflect Us was a, um, it is, it's sort of taken a different shape now. It's dissolved from the, the, the coalition that it was, but we formed it, a number of us at a time, right in after 2016 election, that election, when we realized there was a great need for bringing women together from across the partisan spectrum to have conversations about how to build women's representation. And it was a really fruitful experience. Um, we got funding from um, various funders and and really had a great uh, network that was built. And it's, it's since evolved into um, this state network, uh, or we're gonna call it, I believe the Women's Power Collaborative, which is creating a, a platform for groups such as yours working in states or in cities, counties, to share best practices with one another and take advantage of, of training organizations. Um, there are obviously a lot of great organizations out there that do training uh, in the Republican and the Democratic Party, but um, you know, Emerge is a great example on the Democratic side. The Women's Public Leadership Network is a good example on the um, Republican side. Then there are nonpartisan groups like Vote Run Lead and Ignite and Running Start is um, a group that we're particularly close to that all do really great work um, recruiting women to run and um, and supporting them, supporting their candidacy. So the Reflect Us Coalition brought together those groups um, to work together. And it, we're sort of now in the next phase of it, which is this, this state network, uh, which Represent Women is, is taking on. We're excited for that work ahead. Represent Women um, started as a project of Fair Vote, uh, really, gosh, almost 10 years ago, because Fair Vote was always really interested in understanding how voting systems impact outcomes um, for uh, different constituencies of people. And women, of course, are the major constituency, the majority of people in the world. So we were already studying uh, the impact of voting systems on women's representation around the globe. And it made sense to bring some of those best practices that we are finding of what's going on around the globe uh, for use in the United States. So in 2018, I started this, uh, I we, we became independent from Fair Vote. We got status from the IRS as a independent organization. We got some funding, importantly, and hired some staff. So we now have a staff of 10, um, five full-time people, um, five part-time people. And um, we are very focused. Our mission is focused on researching the barriers that women face in politics, both as candidates and as elected officials, and understanding what the best practices are to address those barriers through changing institutions, changing structures, changing rules and systems. Much like Title IX was a systems change uh, to expand uh, opportunities for girls in education, and the Voting Rights Act was a systems change, and the Americans with Disability Act was a systems change, and suffrage itself was a rule change. So we're we're looking at all the the rules changes that can help to level the playing field for women in politics, and that's what our our organization is devoted to. So are you looking to create a new piece of legislation or you're you, we're trying to work with some existing legislation? Mm, uh, that's a good question. We, we've we identified um, sort of four uh, main buckets of work, or if you, if you will, if you think of a woman's um, political uh, lifespan, um, 
we think of reforms so that more women are recruited to run for office. So what can parties do and political um, action committees do to make sure women are recruited to run and then funded when they run? Those are all in the women running for office bucket. Then we look at barriers and solutions in the winning bucket. That's where ranked choice voting comes in. So once they're running, how can we really create an electoral system that removes the barriers of incumbency and uncompetitive elections? So we have run, we have win. Then once women have won, what are the reforms that are necessary that are working in other countries to ensure that they can serve effectively? Um, so things like uh, the timing of legislative sessions, or is there paid childcare? Is there paid leave? What's the transportation benefit for women who are serving? We have found through this work that some legislatures hardly pay their legislators any money at all. So it really would be difficult for a working person to hold that as a as a job. Um, so those are the kinds of uh, policies that we're um, uh, trying to replicate in in uh, state legislatures and cities, et cetera, across the country um, so that women can serve effectively. And then the last bucket of work are reforms so that women can really lead. Once they've run, they've won, they're serving, how can we sort of institutionalize women's leadership? For example, create um, gender-balanced cabinets and gender-balanced decision-making and ensure that um, uh, men candidates, when they run, are encouraged to choose a woman as a running mate, um, all in, uh, in keeping in mind the need to have women in real leadership positions, not just counting up the numbers in a state legislature, but to make sure we're really building women's political power along the way. So that's, wonderful. that's so that's I mean, there's that one example about the one legislator, uh, and I can't even remember where it was, but she was nursing and, oh, um, and they wouldn't Wicks. allow her a yes. proxy to, um, to vote. Um, and, you know, and so she literally came down to the floor and nursing her child so she could vote. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, boy, talk about upsetting the apple cart. That oh, yeah. has been, that's a bit of a, a heavy lift in some places, but that seems like an obvious thing. You know, if, if we are expecting women to care for their children, then we need to allow them to both serve in office and care for their children at the same time. Yeah, there has to be some accommodation. So, right. And I know, you know, um, I think it was just a couple of years ago that the FEC allowed um, child care expenses to be paid out of a campaign fund. Um, exactly. But of course, and I don't know, have, have, have states um, taken on that um, position as well now? There's ours is not. Terrific organization called the Vote Mama Foundation um, that is is has had exceptional success working on on legislation in a number of states. I don't know which ones have been most successful off the top of my head, but any listeners who are interested in that should look at um, the Vote Mama Foundation and see what they've done and where their focus is. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, I mean, I've worked with well. 29 women in 2020, another 19 women in 2022, you know, and, you know, many of them, you know, their kids are older, but, um, you know, now, um, now women are getting involved with younger kids. Um, and that's a huge problem. I mean, it's just a huge issue. Um, our Secretary of State uh, had a, a candidate had a um, uh, we weren't working with her directly, but she was a we had a we had a terrific secretary of state candidate um, this year um, who had a young child, three years old and, um, you know, really struggled. Um, yeah. you know, I'm sure, you know, it, that was just very difficult. 
Yes. Another state, I mean, another policy that just seems obvious is being able to participate, particularly in committee hearings virtually. Some states allow that, but you know, think of somebody who lives in San Diego having to get all the way to Sacramento for a committee hearing. But if you can participate virtually, and then as you say, have an option to have a proxy vote when necessary, both of those things really um, enable a more level playing field for women who are serving. Absolutely. Okay, so now, um, you know, you were just back from Reykjavik at the, um, the <laughs> International Forum of something. <laughs> Yes, Reykjavik Global Forum, yes. Okay, and so, um, and I know um, from some of your other um, materials that you um, learned a lot about the uh, UN goals for women in government and women's representation. And so would love to hear about your experience over there and, and what you learned. Yes, well, it's it was just a fabulous opportunity to be invited, organized by um, Women Political Leaders, which is based in Brussels, uh, which gathers, I think this is the, fifth year of the Reykjavik Global Forum. Maybe it started in 2018. Don't don't quote me on that. But um, the one of the reasons they uh, Reykjavik is the host for this is they had um, the first democratically elected woman president whom I met when I was there. And they have had a high percentage of women in their parliament. And they really are a model in many ways for the kind of women's leadership that that we're talking about on this program today. So that was exciting. There were um, a few representatives of nonprofit organizations like Represent Women. Running Start was well represented there. That's headed by my friend Susanna Welford that uh, does fabulous work with young women, getting more young women in politics. And then there were a number of women who are really making great strides in the private sector, people from MasterCard and a number of big companies that are setting targets uh, for the number of women on corporate boards and so forth. So I found that really exciting, really interesting parallels, I think, between what we can do or what is happening in the private sector and how we can have the private sector partner with the public sector more uh, to, to do things like the recruiting of, of women for positions. Um, and that is, it's interesting one that relates actually to something I meant to say about opportunities in Indiana are all of the appointed positions, um, the boards and commissions and so forth, um, really working to make sure that women are well represented, particularly on boards where um, key decisions are being made. Um, a lot of those, of course, are not elected, but they are appointed. And, and that's a sometimes a strategy for increasing women's representation and um, their visibility in a community. And then once they've served effectively as the chair of a commission, they may be in a stronger position to run for elected office. Okay. But the um, one of the other exciting things about the Reykjavik Global Forum was um, as you mentioned, the, the uh, folks from the um, UN, uh, UN women were there, <clears throat> who of course are really pushing the, the global network hard to meet the goals, the sustainable de development goals that um, were established, what, more than uh, 25 years ago, and really pushing for increased women's representation. Uh, one of the reasons I like being in that community is pretty much every member of parliament you run into knows all about voting systems like ranked choice voting and proportional representation, and they all support gender quotas. So it's a very encouraging group to be part of. Um, and uh, one, one nice uh, thing that we did that they organized for us was a visit to the home of the president and his wife, 
um, which is situated between two bodies of water. Um, and the boy, they are talk about just leadership, inspired leadership. They were great. Talked a lot about <clears throat> all of the um, policy changes that they are pushing for in Iceland to make sure that uh, women can do all those things we just talked about, run, win, serve, and lead, essentially childcare and paid leave and all the things the United States has yet to do, but we need to do. Yeah. So why do you think that is? I mean, um, you know, there's um, gender quotas in parliaments, you know, in many, many countries, um, but not here. And of course, the minute you say quota in the United States, you know, everyone, you know, gets their hackles up. Um, and I, I, I'm sure it would be the same with this kind of quota. You know, why do you think that is? People are so, you know, all right, they're tolerant of those kinds of quotas uh, in those other countries, but not here. Yeah, I think, I think there are a number of things. I think there, there, it, um, I think often political strategists make a calculation about what seems viable. And I think they're doing their best to, to think what seems plausible. In my experience, we have a um, a problem with not thinking big enough. I don't, I think that, um, so that's part of the problem is we often feel like we need to make very small incremental steps, but I think the lesson we're learning and the lesson we should learn from the 22 uh, midterm elections is that making incremental changes just is insufficient to get us where we need to go. We gained one woman in the U.S. House of Representatives, despite what, eight or nine billion dollars in money spent on federal offices. So I, it is true that if you mention gender quotas in a room full of political consultants or elected officials, they're going to say, oh, that's impossible. But yeah, frankly, it. nobody knows what's possible. And I, um, I also think part of the challenge in the United States is that we have a different history than a lot of the, the Latin American and European and African nations that have been really um, emerging as democracies in, in the last couple hundred years. The United States has a very old form of democracy that we inherited from the UK. And um, frankly, other countries, New Zealand, Australia, that also inherited this system have now done away with it because it was so unrepresentative. So I know it can be done, but there's a certain kind of an American exceptionalism and sort of a rugged individualism in the United States, which in some respects, I think can be admired and there's strength there. But I also think we've gotten out of the habit of looking at best practices and, and what's working around the globe. And I think if we um, can rededicate ourselves to looking at, to see what's working in other countries and in local office for that matter, in places like Utah or Alaska, I think that that will help to change the conversation. Let's hope, uh, you know, it felt <laughs> like, um, it felt like a, a kind of a big step backward in 2022. Yes. Yes, um, and it, yeah, that was, it did. Uh, and I, I think that bad. one of the things that we are uh, focused on is we've done a lot of research on what are those system strategies that seem to really have the biggest impact. And what we've identified are things like ranked choice voting has a huge impact. Jurisdictions with ranked choice voting are electing almost 50% women. So that's pretty compelling. But we also need the hands on work of groups like yours and Emerge and Running Start and Vote Run Lead and She Should Run and all these other groups out there, higher heights that are recruiting women to run and 
and helping them run viable campaigns and um, and making sure that they're running in in races where we think they can win. And and um, so it's really what we're calling a twin track approach. We need the strategies that prepare individual women coupled with the strategies that level the playing field for women when they run. Wow. All right. Well, what wonderful work you are doing. That's uh, <laughs> really exciting. Um, and, um, you know, of course, I, you know, I, I gate that Indiana is just, just not keeping up, uh, just not um, representing well, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, I think we may have actually um, lost women in, um, mm -hmm. in the state legislature this time. Um, we, uh, we have more Republican women than Democratic women in the mm -hmm. Senate. In the Senate, anyway, um, more than double um, the amount. So, um, so, so Republicans are, you know, they they seem to be kind of getting on the program, um, yes. and uh, Democrats, unfortunately, um, don't seem to be uh, getting on that program as as well. So, and I want to talk about, you know, one last thing. I, I noticed that you are writing in so many different um, publications and I just want to mention them all so that people can find you. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, um, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, The Hill, uh, Refinery29, which I don't know what it is, The Nation, <laughs> um, The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, The American Prospect, The Philadelphia Inquirer, The Baltimore Sun, Christian Science Monitor. Um, and so, uh, so I love it that, and you do this a weekly column in Ms., for Ms. Magazine. Um, so that's really great. And I'm sure that's keeping you very busy. It's, <laughs> it does feel a little busy, but it's a good kind of busy. I feel really fortunate to be able to do this work and, and meet so many terrific women like you who are working on the ground in states. And we've got a lot to learn from each other, don't we? We do, we do. We need to um, you know, be more connected. Yes. So, um, so I really appreciate your your other organization. I hope that I hope that we can participate in that. So tell us, you know, what are you writing about now and what are you going to write about next week? Oh, that's a great question. Um, let's see. Uh, last week, I was feeling very grateful for all the amazing organizations we've got, get to work with. So it was a column filled with a lot of gratitude for all the groups in the women's representation ecosystem and in the democracy reform space uh, that are just doing amazing things. Um, every, you know, groups like Fair Vote working to reform the, the way we uh, nominate candidates to be president uh, using ranked choice voting and for primaries and caucuses and presidential elections and all the way down to, to reforms happening at the local level. So feeling really grateful on that. I think that, um, this next week, there have been there. I see we have a, a nice chat function that my staff uses, and they've been posting some really interesting stories on um, some of the uh, work that's being done in Brussels and in Europe, in particular, on advancing women's representation. So I'll probably touch on that, and then touch on some of the election results in the United States as well. One thing, I think I mentioned it already this last week, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt to say it again. We finally got the results of the Alaska race, and we saw that uh, Republican Lisa Murkowski won the ranked choice voting election with a solid majority, and Democrat Mary Patola won, become the first Alaska native elected to Congress from Alaska. So um, we may report on that again because it's such good news. That is good news. Um, yeah, and I did see the statistic today um, that um, we don't have, we had zero. Uh, women of color or African-American women, I guess, I think specifically uh, in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Um, and no is... black women governors. It is really when you think of particularly of 
putting a partisan hat on when you think of the backbone of the Democratic Party, it is just, you know, the it seems pretty clear that we need to change some rules and systems. Right. Um, right. To sure. African-American women are the most reliable Democratic voters yeah. um, out there. And there, there are a couple of women that I'll mention, people who are good to read. There's a woman named Danielle Allen, who headed something called the American Academy of Arts and Science, Our Common Purpose Report, which I encourage everybody to Google. Um, it's a really great list of reforms, both in political reform and civic reform. Danielle Allen um, is a professor at Harvard, and she uh, uh, ran briefly in the Democratic primary for governor in the state of Massachusetts, but she's often um, uh, written in the Washington Post and elsewhere. And one of our board members is another uh, particularly good person to follow is Amber McReynolds. She's the lone woman and lone independent on the US Postal Board. She's very involved um, in election administration and in uh, making sure every voter gets a ballot that they can submit um, in a timely manner. So there's some real great people out there, great secretaries of state, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver and um, Shanna Bellows in Maine and great members of Congress. We just have to like, I think, take it to the next level, don't we? Where we yes. are learning about what the best practices are and having a big vision for what's possible and, and pushing ahead. That's great. All right. Well, I mean, I'm feeling a lot better <laughs> since talking to you. So I really appreciate that. Oh, and, I, um, I'm so glad. And we just refreshed our website now, I, I will add. And so it's still in beta version. We're still working out some of the kinks, but we now have a much better search function. And we do have a lot of great research. We have something called the Gender Parity Index, which uh, grades states on their women's representation. We've got reports on ranked choice voting and on international women's representation and on what happened in New York City and on the 100 largest cities. So Hope that listeners will go to our website and search for things of interest. We also have reports on um, on first gen representation and disabled women's representation and um, incarcerated women's representation. We're really trying to understand the barriers, not only for all women, but for subsets of women as well. So we can better understand the best practices to address those barriers. Excellent. Excellent. And what what is the website? Uh, representwomen.org. Okay, great, great. All right, great. All right, well, we are out of time. And so I just want to thank you so much. It's been just, you know, again, um, made me feel a lot better. Um, I'm so glad. Before. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, don't, I'm not thinking about moving, I guess, as much as I was, you know, <laughs> you know, a few minutes ago. So, um, so anyway, thank you again for coming on and, you know, and talking with me. This is so exciting. You're doing such great work. And um, I really just, I really, you know, just excited about everything you're doing and want to follow, follow everything. Excellent. Well, good. Well, likewise, and look forward to working together in the future. Mm -hmm.